The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. So please turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come now to sit at the feet of our true teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn from him and to learn of him. And we pray that you would not disappoint us, but according to your promise, according to your power, according to your grace, that you would come to us and have your spirit fall upon us, that we would learn, that we'd be reminded, we might hear, that we might obey and rest in these good things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Time and eternity, this is always a fixture in pop culture. It always comes up again and again and again. Uh, We see it in some books and movies uh, that deal with time travel, whether we're talking about its wrinkles or highlanders. It's always good to put a time traveler uh, with a Scottish accent. Um, Or a fixation with the undead. Uh, For a while it was vampires, now it's zombies. I don't completely understand this, uh, but I think it's a welcome change. Anything to get us away from those Twilight books. Um, Four volumes. Really? Anyway. For Hans Zimmer, a time is almost like a character in one of his stories. He loves to play uh, with time in very subtle ways. And last of all, a good example would be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, That book revolves around not just a search for the Holy Grail, but it's really a search for immortality. In the end, we find out that the villain, uh, in, in search of that, has chosen poorly. So we come to uh, this prologue of John. John does not begin with the genealogy. John does not begin with the public ministry of Christ. He begins with this, this prologue, which is profoundly, unabashedly philosophical from the very beginning, and yet it's so simple. Uh, it has been often said the gospel of John is where infants play, and yet the elephants swim. Incredible depth to this gospel account. But he starts the way that he does, uh, so that with regard to the word, we would learn what he is before we would discover who he is. It's interesting that in this gospel, before uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is ever identified, we learn something first about his identity. We see this in six different snapshots throughout these opening 18 verses, but we begin here in these opening three phrases using only eight distinct words in the Greek that speak about the word's eternal identity. First of all, in the beginning was the word. This points to the word's eternal existence. And that phrase, in the beginning, forms a sort of heading for the three propositions uh, that follow. The clue is the word was. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning Uh, The word was with God. In the beginning, the word was God. And that phrase, in the beginning, is significant because what it's showing us, it's not from the beginning, but it's in the beginning. It's pointing us back to the absolute eternality 
of this word, whoever it is, it's pointing to that uh, identity that before uh, all things came into existence, this word already was. And you can see just on the surface, we have an allusion to Genesis 1. In the beginning, that phrase, you're thinking of that already. But it's making uh, the more significant point that Genesis 1 is making as well, that there is something behind Genesis. There is something that lies before all of these worlds that flew into existence. And the same thing can be attributed to the word. The word was before. This word was inhabiting eternity. Secondly, he says, and the word was with God. And this points to the word's eternal relationship with God. As verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. It speaks to that eternal mode of existence. Not just eternal, but he has this immediate relationship to God, and yet it's distinct. That's interesting. That could be important. I think it's very important. And it clues us into the third phrase, and the word was God. Here, now, finally, we have the word's eternal identity. As B.B. Warfield says, now we arrive at the summit of these three gradations that we have here. Not only has the word existed from all eternity, not only has the word stood in this relationship with God from all eternity, not only has the word communed with God from all eternity, but now we learn that the word is God himself, co-eternal with God equal to God, that this word is all that God is, all that God was, all that God ever will be. He is identical to God and yet distinct. And so, as Warfield says, like the morning sun, the doctrine of the Trinity begins to shed its first light in the Gospel of John. And here from the very beginning, we see that the one who came was a full member of the Godhead. This is one who was alongside God, was with God, in fact, is very God. So what this points out to us is the eternal nature of our salvation, and it helps us to understand it in two ways. First of all, the gospel is rooted in eternity, that it is from everlasting. If you were to ask, what's the point of this book? What's this book concerned about? You know, what's the purpose? And John tells us in chapter 20, verse 31. He said, these things are written so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, life in his name. This book is about life. Or put it more pointedly, perhaps the most well-known verse of the Bible is found in this book in John three sixteen that God loved the world, and that's why he sent his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? But have eternal life. That's the point of this, this book. But who is able to make a promise like that? Who is able to, to promise eternal life. Only somebody who is equipped with eternity can make us fit to join him in eternity. So let's say you're walking down the hall uh, across the way, and I meet you and I say to you, I can make you a world champion bodybuilder. And some of you might smirk, just like some of you did. <laughs> a little bit of doubt. You're right. But if Mark McVeigh said to you, I can make you world champion <laughs> See, it comes with credibility. And some of you are not aware of the fact that he moonlights as the mountain on a popular television show of questionable ethical character. And so this gospel is going to tell us that the word became flesh in the fullness of time. But before you learn that, you need to understand that the word was in the beginning. Before the world began, 
before the heavens and the earth were made, before there was even time. He was. Here is the one who is endowed with infinite knowledge and power and existence. And he has come to draw us into something that is larger than we, but not greater than he. This is who he is. This eternal redemption belongs to him who died and who rose and ascended to the right hand of God. And he sits at the right hand of God with everything, everything under his feet, all rule and authority and power and dominion, all realities, all worlds, all space, all time is subordinate to him. Only the word is able to win this redemption and grant it to whom he wishes. Only the word is truly equipped to reveal God in his everlasting grace and truth. Isn't that the point of verse 18? If you look down there, it says nobody's ever seen God. Oh, but the only begotten is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You see, he alone is able to explain the Godhead to us. He alone is fully equipped and able to interpret all this to us. Only he can exegetomai God to us, because this is who he is. And so the gospel reaches back into eternity past, before all, showing us all the purposes of God before the world ever was. That you and I reap the, the fruit of the covenant of grace now, but that seed was sown in eternity. Before we existed, before anything existed, the gospel teaches us that God loved us. He placed his affections upon us. He chose us. That those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he's glorified. But you see, the gospel is not just only rooted in eternity past. It is oriented to eternity future. It brings immortality to light. The promise of the gospel is not just new life in Christ. It is eternal life in heaven. The good work that God planned for us, the good work that God began in us, is the good work that he will carry on to completion with us. We preach the death of Christ because it is what has saved us from the condemning sting of eternal death, but we also preach the resurrection of Christ that has won for us a certain hope of eternal life. That's the point that Peter is making in 1 Peter 1, that by his great mercy, God has called us to be born again to this living hope, a hope that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, that is kept safe for you in heaven, you who are guarded and shielded by faith until this salvation is going to be revealed in the last time. That our salvation in Christ is not only eternal in its inception, it is eternal in its endurance. Christ from all eternity was determined to come down from heaven, to condescend to us and take our nature upon himself and in that nature to suffer on the cross and to rise again so that he might bring to us and win for us a salvation that is like him. It is perfect. It is unchangeable. It is eternal. And his promise to us is that nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from that love that is in him. As he says, neither present nor future. Speaking of eternity, nothing in eternity can separate us from the love of God in Christ. You know, it's interesting if you open up your dictionary, I'm not suggesting you have that with you now. If you do, uh, you are definitely a nerd. Um, <clears throat> 
I, I congratulate you. But if you happen to theoretically have a dictionary, and you open it to the word never, one of the words you would find there to define never is, is always. Isn't that interesting? Never means always. Both these words have to do uh, with eternity. Somewhere out there in the future, never becomes always. It's like a boomerang. You throw it out as never. It comes back and you catch it as, as always. And so also the promise of Christ that it goes out, never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. But it comes back, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Both are the same. They both reflect Christ's eternal promise. They reflect his eternal will. More than that, they reflect his eternal person, his eternal identity. Because Jesus Christ will never be anything but but what he always has been. This is the eternal God, the great I am. And so John begins his gospel in this first insight by throwing us back into the eternal arms of God Almighty. That we might see something, that we might see that the great reference point for our salvation is not merely in what Christ has done on earth in his death and his resurrection. And not merely in what Christ has promised to do from all eternity and for eternity. But in who he is. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So that whoever looks to him in faith truly has chosen wisely. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, these, these promises, these great and precious promises, they are beyond us, what we can comprehend. That we thank you, though, because of your work in our hearts, we can truly apprehend them, cling to them, live by them, relish in them. Help us, O oh Father, to place our hope in Jesus Christ and what he has done and in who he is. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California, 2019. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.